you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning and welcome to our weekly Sunrise Project call. I cannot believe time is flying like this so fast. Um, It's a beautiful morning where I am. I hope it's beautiful where all of you are as well. Um, we're super excited to start this morning with a very special guest, um, and that today's conversation is about the Black family, and we have a guest speaker who is author and CEO of Whole Brother Mission. Uh, he was referred to us by Jennifer Lewis and her manager, uh, who was one of our dear guests. He has uh, written a book called whole brother debunking the myths that break the black family and he's going to share some of the insights that are in that book um, and talk about some of the challenges that black families face Um, sometimes you know being perhaps having absent um, fathers um, toxic masculinity and many 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 other issues so he is going to be sharing insights from this book and I'm delighted to say also living in the DC area, um, Malik Blade is originally from Southeast Washington, DC. He now uh, resides in California. And again, he is CEO of Whole Brother Mission, which is a nonprofit that seeks to equip men to be whole in every area of their lives. Um, So I am excited, excited, excited to hear um, from Malik Blade this morning. I'm going to turn it over to you uh, for our conversation. And then our, our callers, I'm sure we'll have some questions or some thoughts to share. So thank you again for being here today. 
Not a problem. I thank you all for having me. I do want to just begin with kind of an introduction to what we're doing over here at the Hobart Mission and then pivoting towards uh, today's conversation. So as mentioned, I appreciate the opportunity. My name is Malik Blade. I am originally from Southeast Washington, D.C. Uh, I've had the opportunity to make my way across the country. So I was uh, born in Washington, D.C., uh, worked in North Carolina, Oklahoma, and then California. So I progressively moved my way across. And I just want to open with giving you the heart behind the whole brother mission. Uh, and what was the inspiration for why we saw this work to be necessary? So for beginners, uh, I, as a black male myself, have over the years seen uh, and practice misguided notions about masculinity and how those things in effect put black men in a prison. Uh, and then they make an emotional prison and they make other conversations like mental health or addiction or any other serious high level issue. Those misguided notions about masculinity make it hard to even have those conversations because uh, they, they push us away from, from vulnerability. So I've seen that happen in my personal life, but then I began to see it happen quite a bit in my professional life as well. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home to move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So, uh, during my time transitioning from East Coast to West Coast, I worked in university life before joining the Whole Brother Mission. And uh, I dealt with discipline uh, as a dean. So I dealt with and student, college students having fractions when they get in trouble, which unfortunately is, is frequent. Uh, and quite a few of the students that came into my office were Black male college athletes. And one good aspect I can point out from the schools that I've worked at is when it comes to discipline or reprimand of the students, there was always a goal to be restorative. Uh, so when I had to deal with a student that had broken a rule or stepped outside of the handbook, uh, we would start with trying to have a conversation about what got you here or, or what's, the, what's the issue. And oftentimes uh, it would go back to a family related issue that was unresolved, that he never felt comfortable discussing. And it wasn't unfortunately until college, based on how I approached discipline, that they then felt there was a space to open up about what their experiences have been. And so often uh, someone acting out or a misbehavior or a misdeed has, has a deeper rooted issue. And we were able to have those conversations quite a bit. So one, in addition to my personal life observations about how men aren't feeling that it's appropriate for them to be vulnerable or emotional or transparent or hurt or weak in any moment. I saw that in my professional life amongst many of the, the black male college athletes. And then in addition to that, at one particular institution, uh, we had a counseling center. And, and one, again, in an effort to be restorative while also having reprimand, uh, there were times where depending on the infraction, there would 
the punishment would, well, not punishment, but part of the restorative process would be to require counseling or mandate counseling for, for that student. So in addition to the hesitation uh, about being vulnerable or talking about uh, deep-rooted issues that may affect one's behavior or perceptions of others, I then began to see more boldly the stigma in our community amongst mental health. Uh, or surrounding mental health as it relates to men. Now, this school was a more, these schools were more diverse schools. So there were white students there and I, and I had white students come through. And when there was a requirement or a mandate of counseling, there was never any pushback. In fact, some of them came asking, hey, can you send me or help me get to the counseling center? Because if it's mandated, it, it's not as expensive or they don't have to pay. Uh, but a frequent theme with, with the black male students is, after telling this quite sad, overwhelming, sometimes depressing story of different things that they've been through, they would end it with, but I'm good though, and shrug it off. I mean, you just told me this tragic story, but I'm good though. And then when we would mention the idea of, hey, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna send you uh, to the counseling center and mandate some sessions, there was this hesitation because there's this idea that therapy is for crazy people. Counseling isn't for us. Uh, nothing's wrong with me. Uh, and then there's a sphere, of course, of, of actually opening up, opening up those things. So I saw that even though there was a dire need, there was still this hesitation to get any additional support. And when you have uh, pressure to appear okay, a stigma around getting the support you need, you self-medicate. And then that opens up the conversation about how many of them resorted to, to, to drugs or alcohol to cope with these things. So when, when you see it in light of that context, for me, I realized this is cyclical, man. You know, this, this, this is uh, it's cyclical and it's generational. And at some point, uh, we have to change our culture so that we can then change the results, specifically as it relates to these, these Black males, because I myself, from my experiences, would say that all of my, my students that came through my office, regardless of what their infraction was, they were, they were good people, but they didn't have the opportunity to heal uh, from things that, that damaged them. And although the resources were there, they didn't feel as though they had permission to access them. And that was due to misguided notions about masculinity. And that's my focus of the conversation uh, today is how there are different things within our culture, whether overt or, or covert, that sends the message to our young men and even older men that, uh, that you cannot express yourself in that way because that is reserved for women and or weak people. That's the idea. And within the book, Whole Brother, Debunking the Myths That Break the Black Family, I first deal with four different types of fathers. Uh, and I, that's a separate theme, but if you wanna come back to that, feel free to let me know. But we, we first deal with four different types of fathers uh, and how these types of fathers end up producing a certain type of son or a son with a certain perspective or outlook on life. Uh, so we deal with the four types of fathers. If you're interested, those fathers are the, the toxic father, the present but distant father. That's a present, physically present, but emotionally distant father. Uh, the uh, absent father, 
that's a father that's just not there at all. And then the fourth is uh, the single mother functioning as a father. Uh, so those four dynamics are different types of fathers that I mentioned. And then we talk about uh, the qualities that end up being instilled in those sons. But then for the remainder of the book, each chapter is a myth, a misguided idea about masculinity. Uh, there are 10 myths total. I know we probably can't get to all of them today, but I'm going to go through some of them just so you kind of have an idea about where I'm going in terms of these are things that are holding us back uh, as men. And in terms of the title for today's Sunrise Call, you will see that there's a tag there that, that points out that these are not just misguided notes, uh, notions about masculinity that men hold, but they also are uh, ideas that some women encourage. So I'm glad that there are moms on the call as well, because I do think this isn't just a men amongst men conversation, but it's a community conversation because these things are reinforced. Uh, and, and many times in certain relational spaces, uh, a mom, a wife, a sister, a girlfriend may reinforce some of this and then men feel, again, back into a, a corner or limited in terms of the spectrum of emotions that they're allowed to feel. So if there's any questions there, I wanted to pause. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm intending to go. And then for the remainder of our time, I'll work through different myths. Uh, and uh, There is a question, Amelie. Sure. About, okay. Could you repeat the four types of fathers? Four fathers. And for me, if you could describe the difference between number three and number four, because I thought I heard you say number three was not present and then mm -hmm. number four was single mother but that sounds like that would be the same but could you repeat yeah. the four please someone's asking right yeah so the the four fathers are the absent father that's a father that is that's just uh not present in the home at all uh so the absent father second is the present but distant father uh, so that's father that's physically present in the home but emotionally distant. And I've actually found that uh, it would seem as though present, but emotionally distant fathers seem to have a deeper effect than fathers that are just absent completely. Uh, it's this, this, this idea of uh, kind of being in a, a, a fish tank or an aquarium where you're close, but I just can't get to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so third uh, is toxic father. Uh, that's a father that is passing on bad behavior or thinking. Uh, and the, the single mother as a father, so the difference between the single mother functioning as a father and the uh, absent father is uh, <clears throat> the absent father is, fun is focusing more on the dad that just isn't there. Whereas a single mother functioning as a father is more so focusing on uh, the uniqueness of her experience having to wear both hats. Mm -hmm. and the effect that that then has on the son. And what I, what I talk about, the main differences there are that the absent father is focusing more on how is a son responding to his dad not being there. The mm -hmm. single mother functioning of the father is the son's response to his mother uh, playing both roles. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because uh, she's kind of back into that position, uh, while there's a benefit and it's noble that she's, you know, taking on this to, to take care of her family, uh, in some instances, uh, a son may turn, uh, have negative emotions toward his mom for not being able to fully be both. 
So then now she is being held to a standard that was unrealistic to begin with. So it's, it's more so about which parent the emphasis is on. I hope, is, is that is that helpful? Yes, thank you. Okay, no problem. Any more? No, that's it. Okay, got it. So, you know, we start with, with those uh, introductory uh, categories and then we deal with different myths. Um, and I think I, I chose some of the 10 that I think uh, stand out the most in terms of today's conversation. So one, uh, this is uh, myth number four, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, and it's this idea that emotions are feminine. Uh, many of us have embraced this idea that that's inherently a feminine trait rather than a, a human trait. And when you take that away from men, then you kind of force them to be monsters or these beings that are missing an integral part of humanness. So I know in a general sense, most of us may not say you can't have emotions, but there are certain things that I'll get to that you probably have heard that reinforce this. Uh, these are things like boys don't cry. Uh, these are phrases like man up. Uh, you know, and the idea of being a man, we get that, but the phrase man up is often used when a man does express emotion and it's used to, to blot out his, his opportunity to express. So you then once again are, are backing him into a corner. Uh, this is also seen as um, when a man expresses a concern, uh, it's described as complaining. Whereas again, if we if we flip the roles, obviously we will want a home where a woman is able to express herself, but that same that same thing isn't extended to men oftentimes. So we're once again uh, put into these positions where we're only allowed to work within a spectrum of subhumanness. And as someone who deals in the counseling and therapy space, having worked with couples, the the end result of this is dire. So it, it starts with. Uh, you know, and, and I've had to deal with this, I'm sure some of you have, where you're, you're trying to have a conversation with a young man or an older man, but the most you can get is one word to three word answers. And it's like, well, why can't you engage? Why don't, do you not care? And even in my, my work uh, at the universities, I had to kind of play translator for these, these boys and the white administrators because they would see it as, well, you're just being disrespectful. You're not engaging with me. But I'm recognizing that you're dealing with someone who has been trained to shut down emotionally. So you can't get anything from him, not because of a lack of respect for you, but he's been conditioned to suppress those things because he's been told in the past, stop that whining, stop that complaining, boys don't cry, man up. But when we, when we take that into the, the public space, these are some of the responses that these boys get. So I'm glad that I was there to play translator for some of them but they didn't have the words to express what they were going through uh, because they weren't given that space in earlier portions of life to express and talk through those things. But in addition to how that plays out when uh, our boys become men and step into their own independence in college or work, uh, it also plays itself out in relationships and marriage. Two things. One of the ways that I've seen this play out long-term is women uh, a large portion of the men that are referred to us for mental health services, uh, we, we serve the entire nation, but a lot of the men come to us by way of a woman in their life. So it's not just um, the guy saying, I need this, but it's a woman in their life that loves them that's saying, hey, I think you need to pursue this and I'll even help set it up. And more often than not, it, it's a wife and 
when it gets to a point of maybe a group session or counseling or talking through it together, a complaint that's often raised amongst uh, or concern amongst women is that it, it seems like he has a wall up. I feel like I'm, I'm talking to a wall. I, I can't get through to him. He, he's disconnected. So you you have intimacy in a lot of other areas. Uh, physical intimacy isn't really the hard thing. It ends up being emotional intimacy, depth of conversation. So again, in relationships, uh, the, the partner may be up against things that have been deep-rooted for years, and they're just seeing the fruit of that. But it goes back to, again, has this boy and or man been trained to open up or has he had a life of suppression and you're just experiencing that now that you're in that personal space with him it's one thing falling in love with a house picturing yourself moving in and calling it home and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders and finding the budget that works best for you an agent who's a realtor can make understanding that world easier Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Another aspect of this, and I'm going to kind of flip this into another one of the myths, is this idea that men walk alone. So often we, we confuse introversion with social isolation. And men are understood as less social beings that don't really care about friends. And women are the social butterflies that love friends. And th these are just misnomers. Uh, although we may see trends, these are misnomers about how men and women function. So this other myth is th that men walk alone. And a way that this is seen as playing out in, in marriages or relationships is in addition to the concern about being connected to a man that won't open up. Another concern that uh, wives and or girlfriends raise is feeling a bit uncomfortable or feeling pressure when they have a social life. Uh, there are many relationship dynamics where the, the male just stays at home and the woman has the social life. So he might make her feel guilty for having friends because he doesn't have friends of his own. And that's due to the underlying notion that, that men walk alone. And with that, we lose out on the opportunity of having substantial friendships with, with depth to them. And a lot of times, because we've suppressed that emotion for so long, haven't had it in our friendships because, and I'll get to this later, but men's conversations tend to stay uh, very uh, surface level. So you have, let's just say, 25 years of suppression and holding it in. You get married and then your spouse becomes uh, your place where you express your emotions. So they're your lover and your therapist and your friend and whatever else. So you, all that is end up being put on uh, the person that they're with. And while we do want our, uh, our mates to be a safe space, what I'm more so getting at is we can put undue pressure on people when we don't maximize all of our relationships and we put all our eggs in the basket of one person who may not have the emotional capacity to be all those things to us at once. There's benefits to having multiple relationships. There's a benefit to having a therapist. But unfortunately, as men, we don't take advantage of these things because we have embraced this lone wolf mentality, uh, but also that nobody cares about you. So you got to figure it out on your own. 
more specifically, um, I, I mentioned this, uh, or I think I, we had this passed on. We have um, some cards that we have created called Whole Brother Stacks. And there really just are uh, cards with questions and prompts on it. And this first edition is for fathers and sons. But the cards are literally just there to help guys have deeper conversations, to build deeper relationships and go beyond surface level discussions. And it's really just there to open it up so that it's not as awkward. Because I do know sometimes when guys try to go past that level of, of surface level, it kind of might get awkward because like, well, what do we say? What do we do? And we need someone else to come here and be the, the social butterfly. But something mentioned in the chapter about men walking alone uh, is the communication pyramid. So think of communication in terms of uh, at the top is where we lack depth, but the lower we go in the pyramid, there's more depth of conversation. So the communication pyramid has five layers. So hopefully I don't mix this up because it is <laughs> my book, but at the top, uh, you have cliches. At the top, you have cliches of the pyramid. So you're just sharing, you know, some people that go to church may say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. People may say, guys, you know, what's up? I'm good. I'm chilling. So you have those, those cliches at the top. That's, that's five. And that's where a lot of guys hang out. Right under that, you have the facts, sharing what you know. Uh, so it's, it's not necessarily just the cliches, but you're actually saying, hey, I, I know about this. Sports stats, who won the last game, politics. We're sharing facts. Uh, this is what I know. This is what I know. Under that level three is opinions. So now we get a little bit deeper here, but you're sharing how you think about those facts. So I told you what the facts are, but now I'm giving my thoughts on the facts. So three is opinions. Level two is your feelings. All right, so we got past the facts and we got past my thoughts, but now we're moving less from the logical and more to the emotional. This is how I feel about it. And sometimes feelings might conflict with logic, but they do have value. Uh, how we feel about things does have its place. And then I'm all the way at the bottom. Uh, level one is full transparency, sharing who you are with no filters, no steps to kind to kind of clean it up or to make it more presentable. But it's just this is what it is. And unfortunately for men, most of us hang out up at the top with level five uh, cliches and facts. Some would say that women feel more comfortable at the bottom, but we wanna create a space where men are comfortable going to those lower levels as well, not just with the person they're in a relationship with, but also even in their friendships. So that if you're going through something, you have multiple avenues to be transparent about that and get additional support. But if you're carrying all of these different traumas and stressors within yourself with no place to, to speak on them, that's, again, creating undue stress on you as an individual. Um, I'm reminded of a, there's a show out now called A Million Little Things. I don't know if it's on ABC or NBC, but basically it's a show about uh, a group of male friends and they're in like season three or four now, but the first season, like the first episode, they hit you with a gut punch. You see these guys, you know, they're all older or maybe in their forties, not older, but forties men. And um, they've been lifelong friends. They all have their individual families, all their wives are friends with each other. Their kids know each other, just seemingly this great uh, adulthood 
friendship, I believe it's four of them. And suddenly one of the men within the friendship, I believe his name was John, John commits suicide. And then everything changes and so much stuff starts getting exposed. And one of the major themes in that first season was the guys talking amongst each other about how they've been best friends for years and they always used to go to baseball games, but they were acknowledging the fact that we should have known that John was going through something and they were hurting because they recognized that they spent all these years being friends, but their conversations stayed at cliches and facts. But if we had a culture where men communicated at that lower level, then John may have been able to share amongst his friends what he was going through. Uh, but you'll find later that John felt the need to hold everything together and be okay, even when he wasn't okay. Uh, so we want to move away from this idea of men living in a vacuum or a bubble of their own, and then moving toward creating meaningful relationships across the board. And that helps produce a more whole person. So we have the, the, the name, the whole brother mission, because we're looking at wholeness for the individual man. And wholeness isn't perfection, but it's, it's optimum health. And we look at it through, through three lenses, uh, the head, which is mental health, the heart, which is emotional maturity, and the hands, which represent professional advancement. Uh, and while those things, if you have them, they won't make life perfect, they give a man a good foundation to, to, to work with to, to, to then relate to others well. So, so far, we've, we're moving through, we've, we've covered two myths. Hopefully, I'm being clear. Uh, one, the first being that emotions are feminine. Two, the second myth is that men walk alone. So those are the two that we've covered and just trying to debunk some of those things so that we can create a healthier culture that then lends itself toward us being able to have open conversations about addiction or mental health, but also to catch it earlier. A, I don't even want to call it a joke, but a, tr uh, a common statement amongst, amongst therapists and counselors is the recognition that people tend to come to us when they're in crisis. So they wait until the last minute where things are blowing up to then say, okay, now I need help. And one of the unique things we do at the Whole Brother Mission is we recognize that that's the case. So we take the work off of the individual and trying to research insurance, find a therapist, find someone that takes their insurance, figure out what their copay is. How many sessions can you do? Can we do virtual? Is it HIPAA compliant? We take all that stuff away from them because oftentimes people are in crisis. So they're not really feeling like going through all that red tape and technical stuff and, I, and not to go on a rant about our healthcare system, but it's not the most ideal especially not for someone uh, seeking out mental health services. So what we do is we have the person fill out a form with us. We take all that information and we do the work of identifying someone for them. And then we place them together. So we're just taking that burden off of them because sometimes people do come to us in crisis. So I think that uh, will, would be a difference maker uh, for all of us. Before I move to the next myth, I know I've covered a lot. Any questions on, on that? 
That was super helpful. One of the things you said earlier around, you said people say, you know, they might be in crisis, but men will often say, I'm good though. I'm good though. Mm -hmm. And I think women do that too, um, unfortunately. And there's a film that was shared a few weeks ago by another um, expert, Dr. Linda McGee, called I'm Good Bro. And it was a, it's a film about black men and mental health. And so I just thought that was interesting. As you were saying, people all, all the time will say, I'm good though. And what she was sharing was people say, I'm good, bro. It's similar, you know, but, mm-hmm. but the very consistent theme. Um, and I think some of the themes that you're talking about, I think some women face as well, not Absolutely. wanting to be vulnerable, not wanting to share. And I think that's part of our culture overall as mm-hmm. a black people. Right. I would agree. But super helpful. Okay. There's a question that says, how can I help my son when he is so resistant to therapy? i.e. saying there's nothing wrong with him and refusing to participate. Yeah. Yeah. How do you help your son when they won't go, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, right? It's difficult to to get someone to engage in something they don't see the need for. I'm not sure all the dynamics of the relationship or the age, but one thing that I do know, because we've had to go through this where uh, a mom would reach out to us saying, hey, my son needs therapy, but if he's over, if, he, if he's 18 or over, you know, you can't just say, send him. Uh, he has some say in that. Uh, so we ended up running into, there's a mom setting this up for her son with us, but he hasn't agreed to it. So there was kind of a pressure put on us to try to get him to, to get involved. And it's just this, it's this diff- very difficult dynamic. I can just offer some things that I have seen work in the past. One is, depending on the mental state of the person, they may be dealing with a low self-perception. So the idea of saying, you go to therapy for you, they may not connect to because they're not seeing themselves in a positive light or not feeling that inherent value. So although it makes sense to the person suggesting it, the person dealing with said issue may not see uh, a need for self-investment. So what has been helpful is kind of flipping that on his head because they may still be at a point where they have people that they value. So I want to be very careful with this because you don't want to guilt people. Uh, But at the same time, I have seen benefit to the idea of this may not matter to you, but certain behaviors are affecting me or this other person that you value for some guys it may be grandma or mom or your sister so i have seen that connecting point be beneficial in that hey um i know you don't see it's important to pursue but there are certain things that you're that you're doing behaviors you're exhibiting that concern me and are putting me in a bad place so would you be willing to do this to help me out And again, I'm trying to be careful with that because I don't want you to try to guilt someone into it. But in some unique cases, uh, some guys can connect to the idea of a valued party, respecting them taking this step. So out of respect for that person, they will take the step and that ends up opening up the conversation for them to get what they need. Uh, So that's one way I've seen it be helpful. Uh, The other is if you could make it as readily available to them where they are as possible. So 
rather than let's go to this therapist across town and you sit in their space, if you could somehow bring the services to them to them in their space so that they're more comfortable. So virtual or, or telehealth or, and we have those options as well due to the pandemic, quite a few of our counselors are only offering, service, offering services through uh, some type of video software that's compliant. So the second thing I would say is making it, making access as easy for them as possible. Because again, depending on what's going on, it may be a lot to get dressed, transportation, and then being in someone else's space and the waiting room and then transitioning back. Those things seem minor to us, but they may be very overwhelming to someone else, depending on their mental space. So if you could get the services to them with as little uh, compromise of their safe space as possible, I would say those two things are what I can offer to that. Is there anything else, Kelly? Um, another woman is saying it's not just sons. She's having the same issues with her daughter who's 17. She's made appointments, but then she doesn't open up and she doesn't know what to do. Right, right. So getting the services yeah. to come to them, would another option be like virtual? You know, getting them just to click on a Zoom? Right. Or a virtual right. session? And then how do you get them to do that if they're really resistant? I mean, even that part. Yeah. So uh, again, I think what I found helpful is uh, m mentioning that other party, um, making it accessible, so, so Zoom or, or telehealth. Uh, in addition to that, you you can't make, so I guess maybe it's important to put this out there. The difficulty in this or the elephant in the room is, and I'm sure as parents, you know this, there are times where you will see as clear as day, a need or an issue in your child that they do not see. So at that point, there are situations like if, if the child is in front of oncoming traffic, you can snatch them away from the oncoming traffic. So that applies in that instance, but with this, you can't do it for them. So you're up against, there has to be some uh, agency and consent here for this to work well. Um, because again, it's not uh, as simple as locking them in a room with a mental health professional, because again, you're not going to give us so far if they're not willing to open up. So they do have the power here. And I think as parents, uh, one thing that is important is the idea of acceptance of their autonomy. And an and unfortunate reality is sometimes people don't see the significance. And better to have one person dealing in that space than both. And I, what, when I say that, I mean that as a parent, there's this unique balance of understanding that I'm contributing as best possible to support, but not taking on 100% of responsibility for someone else's actions, because you can, in effect, depress yourself because of what someone else is doing. And then you have two people that are functioning at a subpar level. So it becomes very nuanced things that you want to deal with in a very delicate way. But I do want to say that out loud, that there is a point to where you're, where helping can hurt. And there's a book on that, actually. Uh, but there is a point where your helping can hurt, not just them, but you. Unfortunately, there is no magical way 
to to snap and make someone be willing to go but you can change how you interact with the person that needs to go but is not willing to go one more thing i can add is in addition to trying to bring mental health services into your house it can be uh doing as best you can on your own now again I would always be an advocate for speaking with a mental health professional, but we're dealing with the gray area of the reality is it doesn't always work that way. So I'm, I'm real and I understand that, right? So one more practical step is getting as informed as you can about it yourself, doing your own research, and then attempting to have uh, more open dialogues in your home or, or bringing people that that person does trust into the conversation to open it up. And in effect, having your own form of therapy where you're not necessarily trying to diagnose or play the role of a mental health professional, but you're wanting to create a safe space where that person can actually begin to open up as they would in a therapy session. Some things that I have seen is the person was never open to speaking to a therapist weekly, but through personal research, conversations with that person and their loved ones, they were able to see certain signs, certain symptoms, and they were able to get that person to a point where they weren't necessarily willing to go speak to a therapist weekly. But they, after observing certain trends, they were willing to see a psychiatrist for an assessment and then receive some level of diagnosis and then, and then go back to moving forward with their own uh, holistic approach. So that might be another route to this where it may not be them doing weekly or biweekly or monthly sessions, but it can be a conversation that's opened up at home. And for the sake of uh, everyone being clear uh, about what's being discussed, connecting with a professional just for the assessment to get a diagnosis so that everyone understands what they're, what they're, what they're dealing with. That's great. And this person says, I've set up virtual and he still will, would not participate even after he agreed to participate. So I will try your first suggestion to explain how important it is to me. If that does not work, I will do what I can to help him myself. Yeah. That's what this one person has said. Um, and I, uh, I wanna just also just open it up for people who might wanna speak um, and ask a question. Yeah. Feel free to do that as well. My son did was resistant at first and it isn't until <laughs> I started doing my work and doing my own therapy and him watching me back off the pressure and watching me get better and less stressed and letting things go. Then he started to say, well, maybe, maybe it's working because she's off my back, right? Maybe it's <laughs> yeah. working because she is, she's, she's not, um, swirling over me and stressing I started just really focusing on my physical health and my mental health and being like all right you know I can't watch this but so I'm, I'm out I'm doing some things that I need to do and then um, I didn't do any guilting I just was like I recognize that I'm losing it trying to help this and that's not my job and um, that was a hard detachment to be able to say, that's not my job. That's been hard. And the only way that I could do it was by actually focusing more on me and my physical and mental health. And then he started to go and started doing telehealth because 
he could actually see the changes in me. And I never made that connection before. Um, so I feel, I think that that's just feedback that I received from a 24 year old, like the, the piece with mental health worked when he saw the changes that I made. Right. That's great. Yeah. And I will say, I, I've seen that as well. Two things, taking the steps on your own and allowing them to follow your lead. But two, I do think there's something unique. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it, it can happen with, with girls too, but boys are perceptive to the emotional and mental space of the person that's making recommendations to them. So I do think uh, it is significant and of note that it's hard to convince someone to go do something if you're panicking and frantic as you're telling them to do it because they then see you in somewhat of a frazzled space as well. So that's something to consider as well. What space are you in or in what context are you introducing the suggestion of going to therapy? Uh, because that can play a part as well. I love that. Are there any other, um, any other comments or thoughts? I think like what everybody, the theme of this morning is how do we take care of ourselves first and by mm -hmm. calming down, leading and loving and living in faith versus fear, you know, and taking care of our own self. Um, I've seen how that can help significantly. And then they start to transition or they'll say, oh, I called so-and-so, you know, even though I provided the number months ago, you know, by just backing right. off, it allows them to make some decisions on their own, um, I think. So I appreciate all the comments and your thoughts, Malik, and your guidance. Any other questions or thoughts from any of the callers? I'll just add that uh, I think it's uh, two two things I just heard through listening uh, is decentering the person. Uh, although you would like them to seek some additional support services, uh, a way to get them there may be decentering them so that it's not as much pressure. Family or group therapy where it's seen more so as if everyone is seeking help and services rather than we need to put this one problem person in a room with a therapist. Uh, it can be perceived that way. So if there is one person in the family you have a concern with, a way to get them in if they're resistant may be, we're all doing this together because we all would benefit from it. And again, as an advocate for therapy, it's not necessarily something you need to be in crisis to pursue. You can be doing fine. The sun is shining bright, you know, and you still go uh, for, for that help. And the last thing I'll add is I know some, you know, one of the moms mentioned it earlier was that it was that detachment was difficult, but there is a level to which that is, that is needed. I am never going to say give up or, or turn the other cheek or anything like that. But there is a level to which as a parent, you do have to have boundaries in these situations, because then if you don't, your personal state is determined based off of the other person. So when they go up, you go up. And when they go down, you go down. And then there's an unhealthy dynamic that has now enveloped not just one person, but two people. And then that can spread. So something I have found is not just moms, but people who care about other people. It's hard to set boundaries because you want to appear as though 
you're giving unconditional love. But the boundary is important because that unconditional love you can't give if you were then compromised and, and kind of taken outside of yourself. So seeing boundaries as love as well. I love that. Um, there's a question. Can you expand a bit more about toxic parenting? How does that show up? Yeah. So I'm reminded of, I did a session with some, some men a couple of months ago, and I was talking about, there's a, a radio personality that um, has been a supporter of, of what we do. And in talking about therapy, he, he would talk about how he had a breakthrough in therapy, talking about his dad. And he said the breakthrough was that he realized that he was bitter toward his dad because his dad would punish him for not knowing things that he didn't even teach him to begin with. He said his dad would punish him and beat him and reprimand him. And it's like, you're upset at me for not knowing this, but you didn't teach me this. You just expected me to know it. Uh, and one of the myths in the book is that manhood is a, a natural instinct. It's not, it's, it's taught. Uh, but I was sharing in this session that the radio personality said his breakthrough was that his dad didn't teach him. And then I began to get some pushback from some of the men in this session that were over, over 50. And I remember one of them said, you know, I hear what you're saying, man, but I didn't get all that teaching stuff growing up. You know, I was in the house alone. I had to learn how to cook for myself and I had to do this. And I was doing this at this age and I started working and I got my own. And while that's noble to be able to step out and establish yourself, what I had to point out was we can't wear uh, dysfunction as a badge of honor. It's great that you were able to, to come to who you are, but in and, and light of your lack, but you can't then create that as the standard. Uh, and unintentionally, I think, we say, I went through the mud, I went through the dirt, I had a terrible experience to get to where I am. So you have to suffer like I did. You don't get to skip over the suffering that I went through. And while I do think there's a benefit to, to learning to navigate through difficulty, I also think that we can't wear that dysfunction as a badge of honor and we can't hold our children to the same dysfunctions we went through as a, as a rite of passage. Uh, we can create new opportunities for them so that they don't have to go through some of the things that we went through that may have traumatized us or, or, or been dysfunctional for us. So uh, I would say not, um, not trying to recreate uh, the trauma you went through in order to fine tune them. I love that you say you can't yeah. wear your dysfunction as a badge of honor. That was very deep. Yeah. Um, and on that note, really want to say again, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, really appreciate all of your insights and um, thoughts this morning. And we will all pick up your book for sure uh, to support you and would love to have you back at some point. But just want to say thank you um, again uh, for being here this morning, for sharing such wisdom. And uh, we'll turn it over to Kelly Chapman, who's going to close us out with a prayer this morning. Thank you again. Okay. Thank you. This is the day that you have made, oh God. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Whether it was plagues, personal pressures with work, school, or home life, 
or the challenges of mental illness and addiction. We are grateful that we are still here with one more opportunity to learn, heal, grow, and as a family, live a, a life of purpose. We are so grateful for the opportunity to hear from Malik Blade this morning. We ask that you continue to bless him and prosper him even as his soul prospers. We learned four fatherhood roles that may have contributed to the current state of our family. And we thank you, God, that we are not called to be perfect nor blameless. We don't come to you today feeling guilty for our current state. You said in your word that indeed there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. We are trying to do our best. We didn't realize that our sons have been trained to shut down emotionally. We didn't realize that we didn't give our sons the space to share until it showed up as a crisis, as acting out, as running away, as suicide attempts, as cutting and more. We didn't realize that through our behaviors, being toxic, being emotionally unavailable due to our own busyness or upbringing, because of our relationship with our spouses or partners, that our behaviors may have contributed to the conflict. Yet today we look to you, God, with great hope and expectation. You said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly, as always. Thank you again, Malik, for being here with us today. Really appreciate you. And to everybody on the call, thank you again for being here. Have a wonderful week, a beautiful day. Thank you. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.